Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Yes, is this, Christine, there's systems and there's structures and there's mm. best practices. Yes, 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 yes. We've implemented all of those things. Mm. That is so secondary in my life. Um, people go, have you built a brand? I haven't built a brand. I die daily, crucify my flesh, take up my cross and follow him and get in a prayer closet and get instructions from God. Man, we've got a whole generation that knows how to market themselves, but they're not marked. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot with Gabe, and that voice you just heard was Christine Kane, a longtime friend of Q, who was one of the many who were part of a special live event early in November after the election called Q&A, a virtual town hall. Now, unlike most Q events where usually there's a 9 to 18 minute talk by one or two people, these were longer roundtable talks with various panelists. We'll hear portions of two panel discussions on today's show. Now, Christine Kane was part of a discussion discussion about prayer and revival. We'll get to that in about 10 minutes. But first, many are struggling emotionally with the pandemic, social distancing and lockdowns. And that was the issue addressed back in November as part of Q&A. And we'll hear a portion of that discussion right now. Gabe, tell us about who are the participants on this discussion. Scott Sauls is a pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church. He's dealt with his own bouts of depression. And as a senior leader of a church, all that goes with trying to lead a church while keeping your mental health in order. And then Kurt Thompson, the author of a great book called The Soul of Shame, who's also a psychiatrist and counsels people. And he brings that counseling wisdom into this conversation on how we can think well and better understand suicide and mental health. And then Rebecca Lines, of course, author of Rhythms of Renewal and so many books that helped really expose over the last decade the need to talk about our panic attacks, anxiety, depression, and our mental health in general as Christians. And so you're going to get to hear a piece of that conversation we've excerpted for you today. I hope you enjoy it. But what I really want you to do is I want you to go get all of these eight conversations. We had eight different dialogues. We talked about everything from censorship and conspiracy theories to prayer and revival. We have this mental health conversation. We talked about race and justice. We talked with Sadie Robertson about the next generation. And we talked about discipleship. So there's all these hour and 15 minute long dialogues where we go deep into the moment and what does it mean to lead right now in this current cultural moment and what's it going to be like to lead in 2021. So you can learn about that. Go look at all the conversations we had, who they were with at qideas.org slash QA. So the simple letters QA. And when you do that, we're discounting the price of what that virtual pass was when it was live in real time and you could participate in half. So it's only $49 and that gives you access to all eight of these conversations through our Q media platform. So check it out. We hope you enjoy this part of the conversation and then enjoy the entire thing. So let's listen in now. So welcome and thank you for being with us for uh, such an important dialogue this morning. Um, I know we're starting with this heavy topic and, and the reason we wanted to start with this at Q&A is we, if we get into a bunch of different more uh, cultural issues that are of concern, I think, I think everybody walks into the room already feeling the heaviness of that. Hmm. But as we sit here this morning, I want to focus on stepping way back 
and going, how are we as people of God to approach these topics of mental health concern, depression, anxiety, panic attacks? And so I'm going to introduce each of you as we go through. I'm going to each ask each of you a first question. But Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist, somebody who really understands the neuroscience behind how we think, how our brain is wired, how it works. I think that's important for us as leaders to understand what's happening on the neuro side. Um, he's also written amazing books, one called The Soul of Shame that had, has had quite an impact on so many leaders where you've really unpacked how shame starts to work and why that becomes such an important item that we have to talk about. We can't park that in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so, Kurt, I just want to start with you with, with this question. Um, as you think about leaders right now joining us, church leaders, pastors, uh, the people who are with us in this room, uh, who've been through a pretty difficult year uh, where our mental health has been more challenged. It was already challenged, and now it's increasingly been challenged. Mm. As you think about leaders who come into a space like this today, and they're already feeling down, mm. they're already walking in, maybe depressed, mm. Mm. maybe in a place where they're like, I, I can't lead anybody right now. My, I'm not in a good place. Mm. How would you offer hope even as we enter into this conversation about what, what you've seen God do mm. in leaders' lives mm. when they walk into a place like this and go, okay, I'm going to be open. Mm-hmm. I want to try to better understand what's happening in my brain, what's happening in my body mm. as we begin this conversation. Well, thanks, Gabe. I I think um, one of the things that we we talk about in neuroscience is that, you know, science gives us ideas about the mechanics of what we do, but it doesn't really give us the meaning behind the mechanics. It doesn't really tell us why or what the purpose of these mechanics are. One of the first things that I do uh, is to invite people to really go back to the foundational texts. What does it mean for us to be human? For us to be human, in, at the end of the second chapter of Genesis, we see that the man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed. That for us to be human is to be deeply known for the purpose of creating beauty. That's our purpose. And so we do that by being differentiated from others and those differentiated parts coming together in places of great vulnerability and the absence of shame. So differentiation, vulnerability, and in the absence of shame. And one of the things that I think that evil wields is this notion, first of all, of isolation. And, and this isolation began long before COVID. I mean, we are, it begins in Genesis in many respects. And so for those who are here and wondering what can I do about where I am, the first question that I would have is who are the people who are coming to find you? Because we don't regulate our emotional states, we don't regulate our depression, we don't regulate our anxiety without the help of somebody else's brain. I need that. And of course we'd say, well, yeah, but it feels kind of shaming for me to say, hey, I can't get my crap together. Can I, you know, can you help a brother? I'm guessing that most people didn't walk in today looking for somebody. That's the first thing that you say. Hmm. But that is actually what we need all the time. I need someone coming to find me all the time. And so I would ask that question. Who are the people who are coming to find us? Because isolation, I think, is the single most important thread of all of what we're seeing that is so debilitating about our culture long before COVID and now with COVID that much more um, accentuated. And asking for someone to come to find us is an act of great vulnerability because it does acknowledge that I need you to help me. But I don't just need you to help me. I need you in order for us actually to create together. I want to go beyond just not being sick. I actually want to be creative. And so then the other question becomes, who are the people that we see that we're going to help? And by by pastors, I'm asking those, who are the pastors that others in this room are going to go find? Pastors are going to find people all the time question that I would have, who are the people who are coming to find them? And we can talk more about that. Yeah. That's well, let's, let's go to Scott, because Scott, you're, you're a pastor. This has been your journey for 
couple decades now. Uh, you've also authored a couple just prolific books, Jesus Outside the Lines, and most recently, A Gentle Answer, which has been so timely for this season for Christians to really understand what does it mean to have a gentle answer in a culture that's kind of built on harsh rhetoric. But as a pastor, you hear Kurt talk, and, and we have so many pastors and church leaders here. It feels like the pastor's the one that many times is trying to meet the needs of everybody else and don't always have somebody that they can go to. How does that feel as a pastor? When you hear Kurt say that, and you process that through your own journey, I know you've walked out a depression journey where you've talked very openly and transparently about that. But how important is what Kurt just said for any leader in this room about the need for a pastor to have a person that they can go to? It's, it's very important what Kurt is saying, and it's, um, it's confounding uh, how, how you get there. Uh, we were talking, you know, before we, we, we came up on stage uh, about a teacher in, when I was in seminary, one, one, of the, one of the professors said, don't expect to have people in your church that care for you. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's just absurd. Uh, and uh, after doing this for 30 years, I, I understand it. I'm still fighting uh, against that counsel because uh, I, I believe that God has made us to, to be mutually and reciprocally found, right? But over the years, you know, to the, to the point, I can't tell you how many times I, I've, I've heard church members say, you know, nobody from the church pursued me. I disappeared and nobody else, nobody pursued me. Nobody talks to me. I've never heard a, I've, I've never heard a single person, a pastor, um, say that. Hmm. And yet it's completely true about every pastor right. that, that oftentimes we feel lonely in our own communities. And, and I think this year, um, case in point, 2020, with, with all that 2020 has done to church life, you've got this dynamic where uh, reality is 70% of pastors right now around America are looking for another job. 70. That's, wow, that's pretty, I, I had pretty staggering. 70%. Uh, yeah, I can't remember if that's Barna or Tom Rainer, but, but it, it's, it's data. Uh, 70% are looking for other work right now. The dynamic, I've, I've tried to even explain this to church members, and then they're like, huh? And I'm like, I guess you have to be in it in order to really understand it. Our dynamic is that essentially the feeling is that 60% of our people have ghosted us for the last seven months, right? And our people feel like they're still with us because they can see us and hear us from their living rooms, right? Uh, and, and yet we, we, we just have this complete void of relationship. And I think what church people don't realize, and I don't know if this is typically an American issue or, or a global church issue, but um, you know, church members, especially in a city like Nashville, where there's all this church hopping and, you know, what's the, what's the it church of the year and we're going to go to the it church of the year and then we'll go to another one next year and so on. People, people oftentimes, not everybody, but, but oftentimes people treat the church as a consumer good and, and we see the church as our family. This is our people, right? And, and so, so the dynamic of loneliness and isolation is amplified in, in a time like this because you start to feel like, gosh, um, are we really a community? Because wouldn't I be hearing from people? Uh, you know, you, you hear church members say, well, nobody pursued me. And then, you know, but a pastor can't say, why isn't anybody pursuing us? Uh, why isn't anybody asking how we're doing? Uh, complaining in the church is, is way up. Um, 
you know, just the negativity of the environment oftentimes gets taken out on your caregivers, and that includes therapists, it includes pastors and others, and so it's, it really is the perfect emotional storm right now for pastors, and so whoever that community is, uh, whether it's your staff team or whether it's a therapist or, or yeah. you know, just a friend outside your church even if you need that um, community and kind of fighting against isolation is utterly essential, so... I know that's just like a little bit of a tease there, but such a good conversation. I think about Kurt Thompson describing for us to be human is to be deeply known for the purpose of creating beauty. There's a lot loaded in that statement, but so essential for us to understand. And then he said also this isolation began long before COVID. It begins in Genesis in many respects. Do you remember that? I think that's what is helpful for us to understand that we feel isolated because as human beings, we are isolated. And it's our relationship with God that actually starts to ground us and root us. But then our pursuit of connection with others is really otherworldly. Uh, it's countercultural. Um, it's easier to kind of move away from people and move into isolation. But it brings so much love and energy and excitement and enthusiasm and health when we move towards people. All right. Now, Gabe, before we get to a portion of another one of the discussions from the Q&A Virtual Summit from November, a quick note for our listeners that if you missed it, you can still see the event at QIdeas.org. The price of both days has been discounted by half. So again, visit QIdeas.org for all the information. Now, Gabe, the next discussion we want to highlight on today's show is about prayer and revival. And we heard a quick portion of that at the start of the show featuring your good friend, Christine Kane. Many of you know Christine Kane, great author and speaker, runs A21, fighting against human trafficking. And Christine is just a part of this conversation in a beautiful way. And then also Corey Russell. Corey Russell is somebody who many of you may have heard through the Upper Room Global. He co-directs the Amos Project. Uh, He's somebody who just released a book called Teach Us to Pray, Prayer That Accesses Heaven and Changes Earth. He's a true prayer leader, and he will talk with us more about the importance of this in our lives. So as we head into this week where maybe you'll have just a little more space, you'll be able to shut the laptop, turn off the phone, spend time reflecting on a year that's been challenging and difficult, but also created new opportunities and give gratitude to God for that. I hope this conversation inspires you to take a little extra time for prayer, a little extra time to go to the true source of your strength, your vision, as you dream about what is God up to and where is he going, and that this inspires you. Let's listen in now. I think it's like developing any muscle, like your faith muscle, your prayer muscle. The more you do it and the more reps you get up, um, the more you kind of log in. I've said, you know, obviously I'm so concerned with the next generation, have been my whole ministry life. I was birthed, I thought I got born again. Three hour prayer meetings were like our normal thing. So we're both from Australia, so we come out of um, that kind of thing. But I thought that was normal. I thought that's what everyone did, that you would go to the prayer meeting at six o'clock in the morning. And that's where you get your download from heaven. Everyone be praying. I thought this is what every Christian did. You prayed, you prophesied, God gave you a download, you got favor. Then you went out and did awesome works in the power of the Holy Ghost. And let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. The result of that is that it glorifies your Father in heaven. I thought that was the normal Christian life. And then I met Christians. And then it's like, oh... Oh, like you don't pray like that? You don't like that's not. Um, you, and then I learned like, oh no, you go to seminary for five years to learn how to. And I thought, oh, 
wow. Okay. And so then you've got to learn all these big words and then you've got to learn. Um, and then I thought, I'm just like got a Beyonce fake Christianity for the masses. Like, I don't know. You go into the prayer closet, you get God and you, you get God. And people are like, what do you mean you get God? And I go, you lay a hold of God and you stir yourself up in your most holy faith and you begin to pray and God shows you things. And I, I don't know how else to say it to you. You know, we see A21 today. Well, it all started the work I did with Hills District Youth Service in Sydney, Australia. Literally, in my prayer life, God would show me. Go to this business and ask them for this. Go to this person. Go, And I got things. And people go, man, how have you built this big thing around the world? And I'm like, God, I pray. And, like, uh, and you know, yes, is this, Christine, there's systems and there's structures and there's mm. best practices. Yes, 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 yes. We've implemented all of those things. That is so secondary in my life. Um, people go, have you built a brand? I haven't built a brand. I die daily, crucify my flesh, take up my cross and follow him and get in a prayer closet and get instructions from God. Man, we got a whole generation that knows how to market themselves, but they're not marked. If you are not marked oh. by God oh. in the prayer closet, you are never going to see God open doors. You either believe the promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from God, and God opens doors that no man can shut, and you get that in a prayer room with the Holy Ghost. That's where you'll get it. Yes. I believe this stuff. Let me say something interesting. You say something interesting. I think part of this is it's like just redefining normal Christianity. So we're from sort of like sister churches in Australia, and it was totally normal. Multiple hour morning prayer meetings, half nights of prayer. You literally walk up and down the, the pews like, send them, Lord, from the north, the south, the east, the west. Totally normal. And people say today, when you look around the world, why have a, there's a certain little group of Aussies that have all popped up around the world, literally in cities, and they say, like, what happened there? And a lot of that, honestly, can be traced back to the same group of meetings that were birthed in prayer. The prayers I prayed in those prayer closets with my most sincere faith at 19 years of age are being manifest in the streets of New York City now in a crisis. And so I think we've got to find a way to renormalize this, to reintroduce this. And I always tell people, whatever agency you have in your church, if you're a youth pastor, don't, don't stand up and criticize you don't have a prayerful church. Be a prayerful youth That's ministry. It. If you're a small group pastor, be a prayerful small group ministry. Whatever agency you have, build a culture of prayer in it. God will honor it. And he's always looking for people to elevate who are free from idols and want his kingdom to be able to move out. Okay, switching topics a little bit. We've hit revival in its history. Um, we've hit prayer, intercessory prayer, sort of travailing prayer. What is hindering? If you could pinpoint a couple of things, what do you think is literally hindering an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at this time of history? If you were to name three or four things like, we've got to get rid of this or God will not move. We will grieve the Spirit. We will put out the Spirit's fire. Jesus will not be welcome here. What, what would you say some of those things are? I've been, uh, I, I would say, dead pastors giving dead sermons mm. to dead people. Mm. And I feel like we need a resurgence in leadership, mm. a resurgence back to the prayer closet. Mm. Things that we knew in our teens and early 20s when nobody knew our name, yeah. mm. when we didn't have anything and we could care less, we just wanted to be with God all the time. Mm. We wanted to be in his presence and we cried effortlessly. Mm. And, and we would eat the Bible for hours. Mm. 
And it wasn't about devotional times, and now it's up. Mm. It was the breathing of our heart. We were rearranging schedules to be with him more. Mm. And it was simple. Mm. And I feel like we need, a, we need a cutting again in leadership. And it wasn't about preaching sermons. It was about burning hearts. Mm. And what, when they would talk, it was an overflow. Mm. They didn't go to their Bible just to get messages. It was what the Holy Spirit was born in the closet. And what the Holy Spirit was leading in the closet. And I think, I think when we see a resurgence there, it's going to spark something. It's going to want resurgence fire. And it's going to awaken the people of God and put the same urgency and fire back in the pew, back in our churches, which will touch our families, our marriages, our homes. And I believe that, one, we need a move of the Spirit just to awaken us to how far we've fallen. Mm. So that would be my number one prayer of what's the greatest issue for awakening is we need, we need a revelation to strike us. And then it begins in the leadership. Yeah, and to come off the back of that, I think leaders need to rediscover their calling and stop trying to build careers. Um, when you make your Christianity into a career just That's because it. you're a leader, uh, you, you've missed it. You've lost power. You've lost your power source because then you're trying to play to the crowd. And we need to get rid of this uh, language of influences. Where in the Bible is the spiritual gift of a blue check influencer on social media? We're not called to be uh, influencers, whatever the heck that means. We are called to carry a revival fire and lead people to Jesus and so we are we are supposed to point to him we're following him we are so obsessed about how many are following us that we don't care about how many are not following him anymore we are so obsessed about getting likes and uh, getting clicks that we no longer want to become like Christ and so we have forgotten things like sanctification we suddenly devalue things that are central to the Christian faith uh, holiness sanctification, being filled with the Spirit. Whatever happened to that is what a Christian is. So what if the world thinks I'm cray-cray? That is exactly what a Christian is. Christ-likeness is what I need to be pursuing more than how many are liking whatever I post. We have got so warped with thinking my influence out. The influence to what ultimately? I need to be leading people to Jesus Christ. That is what I am here on this planet to do. I need to fall in love with him. If you are not with him, you cannot fall in love with him. I think we like the benefits of Christianity, so we'd rather build a career to gain the benefits rather than we are not desperately in love with the person of Jesus. We are not cultivating the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We forget that we are carriers of God to our generation, that in this earthen vessel that is so flawed, I carry the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of me and I seem to be more worried about what is happening in the natural than understanding that people need a supernatural encounter with a supernatural God so that their life is transformed so for me, leaders have got to get over trying to be slick career builders and start remembering we are called to drop our nets follow him, die daily take up our cross, crucify our flesh and follow Jesus that's what we're called to do ultimately as leaders it's interesting, neither of you mentioned any cultural conditions as a hindrance. You located the, the problem inside the church. And uh, I think that's fascinating. Well, I told you this was going to be inspiring, and I hope you feel inspired. I hope all of this is 
part of what drives you back to thinking about what is it going to look like for me this week to just take part in what God's up to that's so much bigger than what I can see. I'm reminded what Corey Russell said. I think that's just so important. He said, we need a resurgence in leadership, a resurgence back to the prayer closet. I believe we need to move the spirit to awaken us to how far we're fallen. And, and that's the thing. A resurgence of leadership today isn't about a stage. It's not about a platform. It's not about having more followers. A resurgence of leadership today is going alone into the prayer closet and spending time with God where nobody else sees that happening. What a challenge and a conviction for all of us. I hope this convicts you in the same way it convicts me. And I hope together this weekend, let's be the kind of community that says, let's get on our knees. We're going to pray. We're going to take more time to go before God for what he's asked us to do and to be the kinds of leaders that aren't about everybody seeing what we're doing, but are fine leading in private in the quiet place. I hope you're encouraged. If you want to listen to that entire conversation, and I'm telling you, everybody in the room, online, with so much feedback from this entire conversation, because we took a deep dive into prayer. How do we do it? How do you do it daily? What does it mean to pray without ceasing in 21st century American life? And what does revival truly look like? And who are the ones that are going to lead that? Is it the ones you think? Or is the ones you'd never imagine leading what a revival effort looks like historically? You can learn about that by going to qideas.org slash QA. Uh, the pass is only $49. You get this plus seven other topics. It is the perfect thing to watch with your family. Deconstruction in church history was one of the topics, by the way. Just one of my favorites where we break down the last 20 centuries and how the church has gone through these cycles of people within the church deciding that biblical theology doesn't matter anymore. We need to change what we believe in order to fit into the culture. This conversation exposes it with John Mark Comer and Roberta Amundsen, who brings a beautiful picture of church history to the conversation. So those are the kind of dialogues I know so many families would love to have with one another. Again, thanks, Gabe. And, you know, today we've been featuring on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons portions of discussions from the recent Q&A virtual summit from this past November. There's so much more you can watch when you get the recorded package of the two days of discussions. Topics like civil unrest and elections, deconstruction and church history, censorship and conspiracy, and more. To learn how you can sign up for the digital pass, which is half off the original price, visit qideas.org. I'm Paul Perot on behalf of Gabe. Have a great week. We hope you join us next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.